Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday afternoon, March 3rd, 2022. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Movie theater chain AMC is moving to premium pricing for certain blockbuster films. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the weekly tally of jobless claims is out, along with reports on factory orders and activity in the services sector. We're joined by Bob Brusca, who is the chief economist for Fact and Opinion economics based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. You know, last couple of weeks, uh, the discussion has been inflation, 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 and rightfully so, because uh, everyone can see it uh, in their receipts when they go to the grocery store or the gas station. But uh, unemployment is still uh, at record lows. And uh, what is this latest tally of jobless claims? What does this say about the uh, the employment report for February that'll come out uh, tomorrow morning at 730 our time? This claims report comes after the survey date, so it really doesn't have anything to do with the upcoming uh, job report. Um, but the decline to 215,000 is a low level of claims. It's the lowest level we've seen posted since the first week in January. The insured unemployment rate is down to 1.1%. So, um, you know, I, I would say we were probably looking for, you know, four to 500,000 jobs in the report coming up this week. Uh, you know, the employment report has really been fickle and hard to pin down. And then there's the ADP survey that comes out ahead of time that's just, you know, been foolishly revised and crazy. And so I, it makes me even less confident that we know what's going to happen on Friday. But it looks like job growth is going to continue to be relatively strong, although the services report, the non-manufacturing report we received today was uh, definitely a step back for economic activity. And uh, that really does reflect the uh, surge of the Omicron variant of COVID that was uh, raging in the month of January that made things look, at least as far as uh, downtown Chicago was concerned, for the first couple of weeks after the holidays, uh, it looked like March of 2020 all over again, that a lot of people decided to uh, take advantage of uh, not only the Omicron surge, but also just the cold weather to uh, retract and uh, do everything out of their house once again. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a lot of that going on in, in New York City, too, where I live. Uh, but, you know, but this is a report from February. And so that's why I was just looking at the statistics and looking at the peaking and all of that. And, you know, February is the period where things should have been getting better. The the weakness from January with all of this stuff going on that you described uh, was actually passed. Now, of course, the death curve was still rising because it follows the infection curve. But by early February, we were very, very sharply down and, and declining on these uh uh, infections, and yet we've got this this big decline in the headline, a huge decline in the activity index. You know, the activity index has been higher than this basically 80% of the time since this report has been issued. So, um, most of the strength we see in the uh, non-manufacturing ISM is from things like order backlog, supplier deliveries, and prices. Things that reflect uh, rationing problems rather than things that reflect increases in activity. Um, like I said, the activity index is extremely weak, and uh, the employment index uh, was down by 3.8 points month to month. So that, that would seem to point to a weaker employment report in some ways this, this Friday, and the services sector is an important part of what happens in in jobs. So it's, it's a really still pretty confusing report when you try to put the economy and the Omicron stuff together. And just wait till next month when we try to figure out what people did because the war started in Ukraine. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Bob Brusca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Coming up, get ready to pay more to see a major movie in a theater. 
Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Movie theater chain AMC is now charging more for top Hollywood films, including this weekend's highly anticipated release of the Warner Brothers movie The Batman. Let's discuss surge pricing with Paul DeGarabedian, senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in Los Angeles. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Is this simply a way for the big movie theater chains like AMC to recoup uh, some of their losses from 2020 and 2021? Yeah, Rob, I I think it is. And this is an idea that has been bandied about for years, this idea of dynamic pricing. In other words, if you have a big blockbuster movie like The Batman that costs, you know, well over 100 million, maybe more to produce, that in a sense has a, to some, or maybe to the studios or to the theaters, a greater value. And therefore you can ask more, have surge pricing, uh, dynamic pricing, for that movie. And it's a bit controversial. And for me, I feel like to put a value on a movie, like saying, Oh, well, this movie's worth more than this other movie. I don't really like that, but I understand why big theater chains would do this. I think most fans won't mind paying a little bit of an upcharge for a movie like the Batman. It's three hours after all. So you're getting a lot of value per minute, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit controversial, but I think you're right, Rob. This is a way to deal with uh, the, the theaters, uh, the, you know, the effects of the pandemic and how that has impacted their business greatly over the past couple of years. How are movie theaters doing? I mean, it's, it's very obvious that people will go to the theater to see the big comic book CGI spectacle. We saw this last year with Spider-Man, um, but some other releases, even releases that were you know part of franchises, uh, didn't move the needle nearly as much as they once did. Are people just, just showing up for the Marvel and DC Comics movies, or, or are other films actually getting uh, some business at the theater? Well, other films are, I mean, if you look at something like Jackass Forever, actually did really well. And Now, Paul, uh, that's a little bit of a stretch to call it a film, by the way. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Well, okay, the the movie. I don't know how you want to characterize it, but that's a movie that had more youth appeal, even though those guys are, you know, they're they're getting older, as as all of us are. Um, I think that's the key going forward. Is it just going to be a blockbuster business? in theaters, or are people going to start coming out again for the movies aimed at the more mature moviegoer? I think there is some reticence still by some more mature moviegoers, as I like to call them, uh, to come out to the theater. But I think over time they will. And I think the business will grow. It's just going to take some time. We went from $11 billion in 2019 in terms of box office in North America to a mere $2.25 billion in 2020 with the huge effect of the pandemic. And then last year, we had $4.5 billion in box office, so we doubled the previous year. This year, we could be at $8 billion, so we're working our way back towards some sort of normalcy at the box office. And people love going to the movie theater, but they need a really good reason to go back. The Batman is a great reason to do that. And then, Paul, very quickly, what about kids' movies? Because uh, uh, I have three young kids. Um, I, I have the Encanto soundtrack burned into my brain. Uh, we've seen that many times uh, in the theater yeah. and on Disney+. Plus. The same thing with Sing 2. Are people going back to the theater to take their kids to see family entertainment? I think it's been a mixed bag. Over time, we've seen some of the family films do really well. Others that were released day and date in theaters and at home 
didn't do as well in the theater. But Sing 2 is still doing really well. And Lightyear, I think, will be a big test for that because that movie looks amazing. And that's going to be a big test for family films in theaters this year. Well, thanks for joining us. Paul DeGarabedian, who is the senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in Los Angeles. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There are some new businesses opening on North Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago, but the famous shopping area has a way to go in restoring its prominence. We're joined by Albie Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Albie, thank you for joining us today. It seems like North Michigan Avenue, the Magnificent Mile, is just being hit on all sides by uh, every modern trend, uh, from the retail apocalypse to uh, increased urban crime to uh, the, the after-effects of the COVID pandemic. Of those three, what is the biggest impediment to mile businesses right now? Well, I, I, I don't know if I would pick one. I think your, um, your characterization is, is absolutely right. I, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Magmile in the coming months. Uh, you know, when summer rolls around and tourists start coming back, we hope tourists start coming back. So, um, you know, it is a big tourist destination. And if we get a big pickup in um, visitors to Chicago, I think that would be a good thing. But we are seeing, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's hard to know where we are right now in terms of the, the status of the Mag Mile. Um, we've definitely been reporting a lot of bad news about retailers moving off the boulevard. Um, more recently this week, we just did a story about a retailer moving on to the Mag Mile. It's Sugar signed a lease for about uh, 12,000 square feet in the former Disney store space. So, you know, that's one glimmer of hope. I don't know that it signals a turnaround, but it's better than um, than what we've been reporting over the last year or two. And, the, and there are some things that uh, North Michigan Avenue, you know, just simply they can't do anything about it. I mean, the Disney store moving off of North Michigan Avenue was part of a larger corporate restructuring plan. Uh, the same thing can go for uh, Macy's moving out of Water Tower Place. Uh, that was part of a larger uh, corporate initiative to uh, reduce its real estate footprint. And when that happens, you know, them's the breaks. you got to find a way around that. Um, but what about new retail? Taylor's coming back. I mean, how how long can they hold back? How long will they hold back uh, before you can determine if uh, the Magnificent Mile is either uh, back to what it used to be or is in uh, serious need of retooling? Well, I think part of it has to do with uh, what the rents are on the, on the Magnificent Mile. I mean, they have been very high for a long time, and um, you know there has to be a resetting of rents. They've they've come down quite a bit over the last year or two, but um, it's, um, you know, until we see a real reset, uh, you're not going to see a lot of, uh, a a lot of retailers moving there. So that's definitely a big factor. And I also think, you know, you, there's a whole reassessment of retail that's going on, not just on the mag mile, but uh, throughout the retail environment. And, um, you know, the, the question is, you know, what are you going to offer, to uh, customers in a retail store that they can't get online. And I don't know that anyone has cracked that code, but, you know, there has been a lot of discussion on North Michigan Avenue of bringing in more entertainment-type retailers, uh, and and we'll see if that happens. You know, we've seen some pop-ups like the Dr. Seuss exhibit that um, 
ran for a few months. We've got the office experience, which is um, uh, which is running right now. And then the Museum of Ice Cream is coming to the Tribune Tower project. So those are more experiential type retailers. You know, that might be part of the solution to um, North Michigan Avenue's problems. Thank you for joining us. Albie Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business. This is Chicago's all news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Diplomatic efforts resume as Russian forces seize a strategic Ukrainian port. A special report coming up from CBS News. The war overseas impacting the retail industry in America. In Technology Thursday, Apple announces its next special product event. We'll preview the upcoming reveal. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed. The Dow is up 108 points. The NASDAQ is down 87. The S&P 500 is up 5. AccuWeather says some snow showers south and west of Chicago. Otherwise, a brisk, much colder than yesterday with periods of clouds and sunshine. High today of 35. We have 33 degrees right now in Chicago at 1231. CBS News special report. Ukraine and Russia say they have reached a tentative agreement to organize safe corridors for civilians to evacuate. It comes as the fighting rages on, as CBS's Chris Livesay reports from Lviv, Ukraine. In today's Ukraine, the sky is the people's enemy. Huge explosions in Kyiv overnight. The Ukrainian government claiming their air defenses struck down Russian missiles. In the town of Zhitomir, a similar fate. Ukrainians have been for days now learning how to make Molotov cocktails to try and steer Russians away from their homes. Teres Malesko is among them. We need to be prepared to defend our families, to defend our homes. More than a million refugees have left Ukraine in the past week. The United Nations' Filippo Grandi. Hour by hour, minute by minute, more people are fleeing the terrifying reality of violence. CBS News special report, I'm Matt Piper. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed at this hour. We're joined by Art Hogan, chief market strategist with National Securities based in New York. Art, thanks for joining us today. What's weighing down the tech sector and as a result weighing down the NASDAQ? Yeah, you know what's interesting about the tech sector is it, it, it's actually fundamental today. We had a couple of names that were uh, pretty popular report overnight in the software space. One of them was Snowflake, and, and they, they disappointed in, in their revenue guidance. A very popular name and, and a newly minted IPO last year, uh, down about 20%. So that tends to have a halo effect and, and, and drags down some of the other names in its cohort. And I think that's exactly what's going on. I think that the, it's not as we used to talk about, hey, interest rates are going up, so you know that's bad for tech stocks. Today it's much more about earnings and guidance. And, and, and one of the newly minted IPO darlings uh, is getting hit pretty hard on a, on a, on a light guide. The uh, the Dow had a nice little rally going from about uh, 11.30 Chicago time onward. It's losing a little bit of steam, but it sounds like uh, the transports are uh, are taking the uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average for a ride, specifically Union Pacific. Yeah, you know what's interesting when we look at the Dow, you can almost pinpoint on a chart or, or a daily chart when news hits, right? So you look in and say, okay, there's a potential for Iranian energy production to come back online. And you see the market rally on that news. Or, you know, you, you'll see Jay Powell saying something up on Capitol Hill, and you'll see the, the market react to that. 
and and so we're, we're that's a that's a that's a long way of saying we're in a very headline driven market right now with volatility in both directions. I think yesterday was a great example of that, right? The the chairman uh, of the Fed, Jay Powell, up on Capitol Hill, talked about yes, we're going to raise rates probably twenty five basis points, and we're off to the races yesterday. But that basically unwound the sell off that we had. Two days ago. So this is a market that's seeing a lot of volatility, something we'll have to get used to for the in the coming weeks. But the good news is, you know, we seem to have tested the lows and bounced off that nicely. Now it's just a function of how soon we run into overhead resistance or, you know, how far this rally can go for the S P five hundred that seems to be at or about the forty four hundred level. You know, obviously, we're still very much into the early stages of this conflict, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But one week in, you know, how would you assess the market's resiliency uh, with news happening on an almost uh, second by second basis? Yeah, I will tell you that this has been a very resilient market. I think there was more damage done to the market before this military incursion. And, and by that, I mean the anticipation of the event oftentimes does more damage. So, yeah, the lows were actually put in in this market before Russia moved into Ukraine. And the, and the same was true for fears over the Fed uh, raising rates. I think there was much more damage has been done to markets in front of them actually raising rates by 25 basis points, which won't be until March 16th. So clearly, that's not unusual for markets to to actually have more damage done in anticipation of events than in the actual events. And history will tell us both in rate hike cycles and in military events, one month, three months, and 12 months past that, markets tend to be at a higher place than they are, were when these things start. And the uh, the defense analysts have said that uh, that several-week period where the U.S. kept saying an invasion's imminent, it's going to happen at this point in time uh, with this hyper-accurate intelligence, uh, not only did it lead the, uh, the, the Russians to run out of gas just uh, sitting there waiting for uh, the element of surprise to return, but it also gave investors a little more time to uh, move their assets around. Yeah, that's such a good point, right? So this is the first time that we've seen that kind of intelligence sharing um, you know, by the United States and all of its allies and say this is exactly what we think is going to happen. We have a feeling that Putin is waiting until after the Olympics. We have a feeling he needs to do this in the month of March, and, you know, or else the ground starts to, to, to get difficult to cross. So all sorts of things that you know, we certainly weren't talking about in the Gulf War in, the, in 1990, right? And, and therefore, you have the ability to say – if this makes me nervous, I'm going to either raise some cash or move my portfolio into a more defensive position. So I think you're right. I think the, the anticipation of this event actually gave investors time to reallocate their portfolios, maybe make some long-term changes to their investment plans in terms of what might the outcomes, what, what outcomes might affect markets. Thanks for joining us. Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist, National Securities, based in New York. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, Apple is set to unveil its newest gadgets. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday, and Apple has revealed that its next product event will be broadcast worldwide next Tuesday. Let's talk about expectations with Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Give me one second. I want to put on my uh, black turtleneck and talk about the the amazing products that Apple uh, will be giving us in the year to come. Now, there's a lot of speculation you know, on, in the Apple forums and in the Apple community about what gets unveiled yeah. in an event like this. Uh, what will we see during this worldwide uh, broadcast uh, online unveiling event? 
Well, we have some great clues. You know, they have done this in the spring every year for the past several years. And we know by the patents they've filed and things like that, that they're most likely introducing a new iPhone SE 3. That's the lower priced kind of entry level phone. Uh, it'll have the same design, but with two main upgrades, 5G and a better processor. So anytime Apple comes out with a new device, you can almost always count on it being a little faster, a little better, maybe a better camera. So that could drop the existing price of the iPhone SE 2 down to about that $200 mark. This is great to get more people to defect from, you know, to jump over from Android to the Apple ecosystem. So that's a, a great reason for them to come out with this right now. And then, um, you know, how how competitive is the uh, the mobile phone market right now? And, and what's Apple's position in that market, um, especially compared to, uh, you know, those Android-powered devices? Yeah, well, Android still rules the world, but Apple holds pretty steady here in the United States. Uh, every year we think, boy, there can't be more people buying these phones, but they're still flying off the shelves. Although most people who own, I think it's something like 92% of Americans now own a smartphone. So smartphone adoption is, is pretty flooded but now it's it is that who has the better camera who has the better video conferencing capabilities and th there is also a rumor that the fifth generation ipad air will be unveiled next week uh kind of taking after the ipad mini 6 and that really focuses a lot on video calling and updates to 1080p video recording and things like that so so we expect to see those incremental upgrades, no flying cars, nothing that will knock our socks off. But the other thing we might see next week is iOS 15.4. That includes Face ID support with a mask. You know, all these little things that are meant to make our lives just that much easier due to this latest technology. Is the era of the earth-shattering Apple uh, <laughs> Apple reveal over? Um, I'm thinking back to, you know, the, the, the reveal of the yeah. iPhone and how it just seemed like the world was knocked on its axis at that very moment uh, versus, you know, other product rollouts where maybe it wasn't eye-popping at the beginning but then uh, gained momentum over time. Yeah, I think, you know, I was there when Steve Jobs unveiled that first iPhone. Remember, it went from the iPod to the iPhone to the iPad. I mean, it was just one new amazing gadget after another. And they have, it has truly changed the world of consumer technology. We will not see anything that earth shattering this year, likely not next year. But I believe Apple will come out with something. It's either going to be that flying car or we know they're dabbling a lot in the world of VR and AR, artificial reality, virtual reality. There will be the next big new product. I, you know, Amazon's been dabbling with robots. Not sure what it's going to be, but I believe Apple will win the day with an earth-shattering reveal again, but not this year. Thanks a lot. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com based in San Francisco. Join us this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come, gauging the impact of the war in Ukraine on the retail industry in America. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine is impacting businesses 
businesses and economies worldwide. That includes retail in America. Let's check in with Jan Rogers-Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers-Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Jan, thanks for joining us this afternoon. What are some of the ways in which the war in Ukraine is uh, impacting American retailers? I'd say so far, not much. I think the concern is, can it going forward? You know, none of the guys, my kind of retailers, the apparel accessories, jewelry, shoes, you know, all that sort of the world, nobody sells very much in Russia. You know, Russia and Ukraine combined, the economies are so small as far as inbound consumer. And then outbound, you know, Russia basically doesn't make anything that we sell, and Ukraine's not making much. So I don't think they're getting impacted that way. I think the real concern is, Inflation is already scaring the heck out of the, the retailers, and they're afraid it will scare the heck out of the consumer. And if oil goes up a lot from here, inflation just gets considerably worse. And I think the other thing they worry about is anything that makes the consumer feel bad keeps them from buying discretionary stuff, right? And so this war, if you're watching it on TV like I am, it sure as heck makes you feel bad. And I do think the longer it goes on, the worse that will be for the consumer's mindset. And it'll also draw their eyes to the TV as opposed to the advertising for whatever you're selling. So I think there's all of those things to worry about. But from the point of view of it doesn't do much in the way of supply chain, it doesn't do much in the way of actual sales in the country, that's not what they're worried about. They're worried about the follow-on effects. Very briefly, though, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the sanctions and the effort to go after uh, Russian oligarchs, um, will that have any impact on the ultra, ultra, ultra high-end retailers that might be based in Manhattan or Miami? Uh, certainly it could have some impact if you happen to be selling $600 million yachts. But, you know, the guys I follow don't sell much in that category. And until you get up to the LVMHs, the Hermes of the world, I don't think they're selling a lot to those Russian oligarchs. And the tourist business has been dead since before COVID hit. So I don't think that's a follow-on problem either, really. Thanks for joining us. Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.